Welcome everybody. This is uh, this is um, help me understand. This is a podcast for anybody who just wants to better understand the world around them. And I am very very glad uh, today to welcome Alon Morgan. Did I say it right? Pretty much. <laughs> hey, I'll take it. Um, who is uh, just a lot of things. They're very active on Twitter as their excellency, Alon Morgan. Um, they worked with the Gender Avenger blog for a period of time, and they also are proudly non-binary and are here to talk to us a little bit about that experience and and sort of what their journey has been like. So welcome. Hello. <laughs> Uh, and uh, first of all, please re remind me how to say your name properly so that I don't mess it up again. Alan. Alan. Okay. Yeah. Now, first <laughs> questions first. Um, you identify as non-binary. Could you just maybe give a broad overview of what that means to somebody in our audience who maybe isn't familiar with that term? Sure. Um, it's very simple and it can also be very complex depending on how much you want to go into it. Um, I prefer the simple version, which is I don't fit tidily into either uh, category of man or woman as far as social gender goes. And uh, that confused me my whole life because I'm 49 years old and back in the 70s and 80s and 90s, there was no language for this. So this is something that I came to mm -hmm. uh, in my early 30s. And when the language started coming up and I, it was like a, like the heavens opening up kind of, you know, how the sun comes down and it was, uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm diving into religious metaphor, which is really funny because I'm not religious, but it, you know, it was like the heavens opened up and it was like, ah, there, that's hey, go what for I the am. Gold. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the middle of it all so was was that awareness because of language because of culture because of a little bit of both actually um the first time and i have clear memories back to uh back when i was in diapers even and i remember the first time i got really mad about gender i was three years old and my mother had put me in a very pretty little girl's dress and was trying to mollify me because I was upset. My uncle was coming to take my photo. And some kids don't like having their photos taken. I wouldn't have minded, but every time I was sat in front of a camera, everybody told me I was a pretty girl. I should smile like a pretty girl. And they dressed me up in these super girly clothes. And I had no language for it, no real understanding. But, and it was a joke in my family for a long time, but I used to stomp around and say, I'm not a girl. And at that age, I would say, I'm a boy, and I would get so mad about it. So that's the first time I remember getting mad mm. about gender. So it was just something I, I knew that whatever label they were putting on me wasn't appropriate for me. And so can you describe what it was about that experience that made you angry? And I, I assume probably still does at, at certain points. Can you describe what what it is that's leading to that? Is it a feeling of not being seen or understood or, or where is it coming from? Yeah, it was a, a sense of not being seen. It made me feel very invisible while being right in the room. It was very odd. It was sort of like, um, 
like when a sibling um, pretends to ignore you, to drive you insane, only like on a grand scale where nobody can mm. see you. And there was no language for it at the time, of course. So I could say, I'm not a girl. And people would be like, oh, that's very cute, you know, very head patty. But there was nobody really at the time, I think, who was even able to hear that kind of disclosure. And so I just stopped mm -hmm. disclosing altogether <laughs> and didn't uh, go through any sort of coming out process that way until the early aughts. Okay. And so what changed in the early aughts that made you feel able or ready to take that step? Well, I still didn't have language for it, but I had started blogging and through blogging, I had become connected to all kinds of people. Um, mostly it was um, uh, white moms from the US because blogging was very much a US thing around 2000, like in the early aughts. But um, there was a bunch of other people that I connected with, uh, people were, who were across the um, sexuality spectrum, people who were trans and coming out as such and transitioning. And that was something that had never been that publicly visible. I didn't see it um, in magazines. I, you didn't see it on television unless it was a man who was so-called cross-dressing. And then it was usually the butt of a joke, usually yeah. at the, the trans person's expense. Mm. Um, so there hadn't really been an avenue for me, but yeah, in the early aughts, suddenly I was connected with people and not stories about them, but them telling their own stories. And it struck me that this gender spectrum we'd been given, uh, well, gender binary we'd been given, wasn't really fitting a lot of people. And actually, I still think it doesn't fit most people very altogether extremely well, um, which is why I think some people find it so scary. But so I started to look at my own gender because mm -hmm. at that point I'd realized I'm not a man. I'm definitely not a woman. And this was like had been my my big um, attention within myself for a long time. Like, how can I not be either thing? And I started to see, oh, there's mm -hmm. a whole bunch of things I could be. and. The, there was actually an incident that really sparked this idea in me or this understanding in me is mm -hmm. I had written a blog post about how I like to wear men's clothing sometimes. And I would often wear my husband's clothing because he and I are very close to the same size. And I was talking about gender and sexuality in that post and a forum of uh, trans people, um, had picked up on this post and they were tearing me down. Now this is in the early aughts, right? And I, I, I don't harbor very much resentment for the people that were in this forum. There's a lot of pressure, I think, on groups to be very careful about who they allowed in, what was acceptable. Mm -hmm. And I sort of faked my way into the forum. I used a false name. I wanted to see what they were saying about me. And it wasn't good. And they were saying, this person isn't trans. This person is just trying to look, you know, trying to be cool. They're trying to be edgy. And I was so hurt by it. Mm -hmm. But I also realized, shit, they're right, you know? Oh, how's swearing? Is swearing okay if I accidentally swear occasionally? <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I'm generally going to steer clear from, clear of it because I'm a middle school teacher, but okay. you can swear to your heart's content. It comes out occasionally, so I'll try and keep it <laughs> occasionally. I swear like a sailor, but I'll, I'll try to keep it clean. L listen to your heart. Yeah. <laughs> it is the seasoning we put on language. Go for it. But I was so deeply hurt because I thought this could be a group that I could talk to, that I could learn things from, that I could figure out things from. And instead, I felt more mm -hmm. rejected than I did anywhere else. And then I realized, oh, right, that's not, that's not the right place for me. But there must be a place for me. Like these people are out so, here, we're all talking now. When you say not the place for you, do you mean because it was um, a more trans focused space and you were more non-binary or is there something else? Well, it, if I was doing a, a, like a binary transition, if I were to transition to being, you know, a man, 100%, or uh, mm. if I were um, assigned, you know, male at birth, and I was uh, transitioning, you know, to the full, you know, feminine woman end of the spectrum, I probably would have been accepted. There wasn't a lot of knowledge, even in trans communities, about people who were not either or or a little oh, more than okay. or a little less than because there's people all across the spectrum like i i try not to talk about it like uh women are at one end <clears throat> and men are at the other it's more of a a sphere mm -hmm. <laughs> there's spots all through it that define sort of who you are and how you feel your your gender sexuality how those things combine how they present socially that's why it gets complicated so are there is there a way then to describe my understanding of non-binary and you can correct me if i'm wrong is that it's somebody who experiences you know gender at, at as a broad spectrum or elements of all aspects is there a and is there also space for somebody who doesn't experience gender at all is not yeah does not feel connected to that experience yeah there are people who identify as a gender uh, like out, just outside that okay. binary, not with the masculine or feminine. And I find that fascinating. And, um, you know, just to complicate things, I'm non-binary, but I also um, have some gender fluidity, which is another term. Some people identify as gender fluid, which is a, a little bit of an older term, but it's uh, still used. And that's people who are sometimes very masculine sometimes very feminine sometimes definitely feel like like they are a woman but sometimes very definitely a man and sometimes mm. somewhere in between so there are people who it changes i i can't help but wonder you mentioned that a lot changed in the early 2000s mm -hmm. what was it about the early 2000s was there a culture shift um was there some sort of major advancement? Was it just a change in the way we talked about things, some mix of all these things? What, what do you think happened in the early 2000s that made the space for you to explore this? I think it was the internet and social media. There was, um, <clears throat> I've been on BBSs and stuff since the 1990s. That stood for, what did, that, what did BBS stand for? Bulletin board system. There we are. I even had one for Bulletin a while. Bulletin board system. I used to go on them with my brother. Yep. I had one for a while um, attached to my, because comment sections used to not be, um, just because of the technology, they, they weren't really great on weblogs in the early aughts. And so I had a BBS linked to 
on my blog that people could go talk in. And it ended up being populated mm -hmm. by a bunch of men from Germany who, because my blog was schmutzy.com and schmutz in German is like dirty. And so they would come to my weblog <laughs> looking for possibly porn and they would find me. <laughs> But they were very oh polite, like they would send me emails. They would say, oh, I came to your site expecting something else because of, you know, schmutzy, but, but you're very nice. I'm going to keep reading. Like they were very, <laughs> it was very funny. So, <laughs> so I have to ask, I have to ask where the name schmutzy came from. Um, when I was, I come from Mennonite background. So there's a lot of um, Mennonite German that was uh popped up into my okay. life. It wasn't spoken like a language in my house, but the words would come up a lot. And there's a lot of Yiddish mixed in mm -hmm. with uh, in Menno German. And so um, like schmutz, my mother would say, oh, uh, es schmitz, like it's dirty, something's dirty. And she would often say that about my face and be wiping it off because I was a scattered child. And so in the 90s, <laughs> I had a group of friends who we all came up with um, stupid monikers for each other. Uh, I had a friend who was called Bucky, you know, another friend had a stupid nickname and I decided mine would be Schmutzy back in the nineties because of that. And so that became my blogging name in the early aughts. That's, that's fantastic. I love it. Um, I'm going to draw us back though to oh, yeah. you were telling me about <laughs> the early two thousands and your blog. Right. I, I just had to ask. I was so curious. Yeah. I think the tech finally. So yes, there was, there was a bunch of Germans looking for schmutz. Yeah. And so those, those <laughs> men ended up hanging out on that BBS, which I kept going for several years because they kept talking on it. Even when I didn't have it on my blog, they kept going back to it and checking in on each other, like friendships formed there. But none of them were trans or non-binary people, and none of them were my blog readers. It was just a bunch of German men who'd been looking for porn who found my BBS and became friends. <laughs> who just happened, they were looking for porn and found friendship. Yeah. And, I mean, <laughs> it takes all kinds, yeah. I suppose. I don't even know what to say to that. It was, it was really sweet. <laughs> it really was. It was really sweet. But anyway, um, but the tech started catching up in the early aughts so that people could set up their own weblogs really easily. Like blogger came up and um, WordPress started to, well, I was going to say it became more usable. No, but it was, it was just accessible. It was the thing that was available at the time. Um, and it, it became WordPress. Yeah. <laughs> and so people um, were able to set up their sites and host them and uh, comment sections uh, became a regular thing. And, so you really got to meet all kinds of people that you previously never would have met, even though the internet was around before like 2003, mm. when I started blogging, you couldn't communicate like that. Like we could share pictures of our pets and people's kids and homes, and you really got a sense of your lives. And there was also this interesting sense that we weren't really all that public. Like I wrote, for seven years before I ever, this was another coming out experience, before I came out as a blogger with my real name. Nobody knew who, what my real name was. I went to conferences and never shared my real name, um, blogging conferences. Really? Yeah, and you could do that then. And so did you go by Schmutzy? Yeah, yeah, and my name tag at conferences said Schmutzy and okay. yeah. And those old bloggers still call me Schmutzy and it 
that feels like a natural name to me, which is really funny. But yeah, we could finally see and interact with each other in ways that you never could before. You could find niche magazines before, niche books, but actually finding people that you could connect with and talk to and see on the internet hadn't really been possible uh, on a broad scale that way before. And I think that's created a lot of social change that has happened quite quickly inside of 20 years mm -hmm. that wouldn't have happened otherwise. And I think that's partially why there's a lot of pushback because it's a lot of shift. Like there was, you could hardly, you know, be gay without really severe consequences just five and 10 years before that, you know, let alone all of the things that and, we've got going on now. And so do you think that that transition was really difficult for people, that advancement, that rapid advancement in the conversation around all this stuff really threw some people for a loop? I think people who weren't engaged in that sort of social conversation that was swelling up, I think it could be quite difficult. Because even when, like mm -hmm. the idea of being in between what had present, been pre presented to me as a binary, uh, as binary mm -hmm. genders, um, even that for me was quite a mental pretzel because we're really extremely trained uh, in our language and uh, what we find acceptable dress and how we behave together, what we expect of each other. All of that is wrapped up in this binary gender that we've been taught. And mm -hmm. so even for someone who definitely knows they're not either and knew since they were three, once that language was in place for me, it was, it took my brain a bit to wrap, wrap itself around it because mm -hmm. that language only started coming to me in my thirties. And so, and that's partially why I have a lot of patience with people who, you know, mess up my pronouns or have a difficult time remembering or, use the wrong words sometimes because it's hard to reroute those. Like you're literally physically rerouting pathways in your brain. You're literally having to learn not to rely on old memories and rely on newer information. And that's difficult to do. Can you talk a little bit about the experience of being misgendered? Like how is that experience on the end of the person being misgendered? Well, for me, um, I think because I was able to, it was a, it was a, it was a slow evolution getting to a point where I would even ask anyone to use different pronouns for me or acknowledge that my gender was any different. Um, I think I have more patience because of that, because I knew what it took for my brain to wrap itself around my own sort of growth <laughs> uh, up until now. Mm. But I think if I didn't have the kind of evolution towards this that I've had, it would be a lot more painful if people accidentally misgendered me. Um, mm. But as it stands for me personally, I can only speak for me. If someone accidentally gets my pronouns wrong, I'm not terribly upset. It doesn't actually come up that often because when we're talking to each other, you don't say, you know, they, them to me, 
you would say that talking about me to someone else. Mm -hmm. So I'm rarely around to hear myself being misgendered. But if I do, I, yeah, I just drop it in. I'm like a quick, it's they, and it's not that big Mm -hmm. of a problem. Uh, What bothers me more is when people refuse to honor me Mm. by calling me what I have requested. Like it's, it's, and it's not quite the same, but I've used the example um, for cis people, uh, just so people are caught up. Cis is spelled C-I-S, and it means uh, you identify with the gender that aligns with the expected genitals you were born with. <laughs> so if you're born with a penis and you identify as a man, you're cis gender, um, just so everybody's <laughs> up on the terms we're using. So um, I appreciate it. If So how I try to explain it to cis people is that if, let's say your your name is Steve, right? And it is Steve, right? Hmm. I just know your online handles, so I just wanted to make sure. (laughs) Yes, yeah, I I am Steve. Good. So, (laughs) But let's say like, I was like, no, you're not Steve, you're Catherine. And I insisted on calling you Catherine to other people, to your face. You'd be like, what the hell, man? Like, that's not cool. And so, like, don't do that Mm -hmm. to people who aren't cis. If someone tells you that they are they, them, or uh, there are a number of other non-binary pronouns people might choose, which I cannot think of off the top of my head (laughs) for some reason. But if someone asks you to do that, just do it. I think... This this brings up a, an important question, and, and I'm not going to ask you to list because I know that pronouns are very much an evolving thing, and there are a lot of pronouns, and some are new. And I, I'm not going to ask you to do them off the top of your head, but what I will ask is, um, to somebody on you know who maybe is naive to this stuff, can you maybe touch on a little bit why there are so many different pronouns that are emerging, or maybe maybe the emerging is the wrong word, but coming into more common use or, or coming into public awareness a little more. I don't know the right way to describe it, but can you maybe touch on why there's such a diversity? Because there's he, she, and they, them, but then there's a there's a series of other ones that have sort of come to the fore in there as well. So could you, could you explain or touch on that a little bit, please? Sure. Um, they, them can, you know, some people can find it confusing. It's confusing when you first start trying to use it as a singular, uh, they, them. I've chosen they, them, because they are common words that we all understand. And they're also words that we use regularly as singular pronouns. Like if you were at a restaurant and somebody left and they left their keys on the table and you didn't maybe uh, know their name or something, you would say, oh, they left their keys on the table. And you wouldn't think twice about it. So that's Mm -hmm. why I use those pronouns. They're something we already use in that fashion. but. Some people don't like that they're considered plural and would like better words that we're not borrowing from another part of our language. So they might want to use Z and Zay. That's another form. Um, mm-hmm. Or some people I you know want pronouns that specifically relate to their gender, which our general use of singular they, them don't relate to gender. So I can kind of understand that argument. Mm. Another one is having pronouns that we can use in different languages. Um, 
speaking of non-binary people, um, for instance, in Spanish is very difficult because a lot of words end in O uh, for the masculine and in A for the feminine. But what's what do you mm. do for a non-binary person? And so, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I teach French immersion and yeah, French it's is a, a difficult it's one. It's a similar thing. Noun, nouns are gendered. Almost all nouns are gendered, and so it's really tough to have conversations that are sensitive to gender when even like just the table in the room has a gender assigned to it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you heard a cat, yeah, yeah, <laughs> ignore the cat if you hear it. <laughs> hey, cats, cats are welcome. Uh, mine is probably somewhere about, so we'll pay his regards as well. Um, what would you say to somebody? Because uh, there's a there's a certain segment of the population who maybe hand wave pronouns a little bit and say, mm -hmm. oh, they're just pronouns. Um, because I think there's some people who maybe don't understand sort of the iceberg that sits beneath pronouns and how that's just sort of pointing at much more than just a word. So can you touch on that a little bit or maybe give a sense of like what what is behind those pronouns that makes them so impactful or important? There's a lot of assumptions made based on what your gender is, how people can treat you. Um, how they, uh, what they'll say to you, what their relationship to you is in a given, in any given situation, whether it's at work, on the street, um, because your gender isn't just that we use he, him, or she, her, or, or they, them. Uh, and I know this having, uh, you know, lived as a woman for, or a more feminine person for, you know, the first three and a half decades of my life. Um, when I was walking down the street, the way that I was spoken to was definitely based on my gender. When I got followed on the street, when I got paid less than people with the same responsibilities than I ha that I had, when my clothing, I was admonished for the clothing I wore, um, if it showed too much skin or whatever, um, there were all sorts of ways that I was treated because of my perceived gender. Uh, and there are a lot of ways that men are treated. Um, and those are all negative connotations. There's, there's good ways that you're treated as well as a woman, but I, I just listed the mm -hmm. negative ones, which I apologize for. There are really good things about being a woman as well, <laughs> but like, uh, and there are negative and positive ways that you're treated based on the fact that people assume you're a man. And mm -hmm it's important to establish who you are socially. Like, who are we? Who are we to each other? Um, it mm. makes a difference in, in how you're treated, how you enter conversations, what people expect from you in conversations. Like we would never be having this eye-opening, well, this conversation is gonna be eye-opening for some people uh, if I wasn't clear about what my pronouns Eye-opening for me. Yeah, it, it wouldn't, it would never happen mm. if I weren't clear about my pronouns. It matters who we are in a, in a social context and pronouns tell people that, it telegraphs that. That's a really good point, right? You, the way that you are very open about who you are very much led to this conversation mm -hmm. because I was looking for somebody I could, who could help me to understand gender a little better. And you came to front of mind because of your advocacy. So yeah, that makes, and because honestly, because 
the first word in your Twitter profile is they or there, I suppose. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is so. I suppose the question has to be asked then. You know, you bring up the the different ways that you've been treated. Has has the experience of a non-binary person? I suppose it'd be naive to ask if it's been difficult, but can you talk a little bit about the experience of a non-binary person in Saskatchewan and what, how that experience has been for you or what you've experienced in that? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it's been up and down. There are some people I'm more out to than others. It often um, doesn't come up because again people aren't calling me uh by my pronouns to my face they pronouns are generally used for people who aren't there or referred to in the third person so mm -hmm. um it often doesn't come up but then there have been times uh for you know where i've had a difficult time with like groups of friends who didn't understand it and so didn't place the importance on on the language or the treatment of me that I would expect mm. from friends necessarily. Some people catch up, some people don't. Um, that can be disappointing, I guess. <laughs> disappointing is a small, is a very small word to use for that. Um, but I found that there's always, in almost every situation, there are always people who will come forward and tell me that they appreciate uh, the honesty with which I presented myself and that, you know, and it just feels, so there's always a corollary for me, at least, of, you know, if there's a negative experience, there's, you know, someone there who's learned from it or comes forward to say that they do respect me. Or um, I think when it comes to changing language in society and, and changing gender presentations, um, women have gone through this for decades, like women in pants was a huge deal and still is in some circles. Um, these things are really hard mm. to change on mass, especially when you're part of a group that's relatively tiny and minute and um, mm. not all that visible because we're not non-binary people in general aren't terribly flashy. Like we're, like it's, we're kind of hard to spot a lot of the time. <laughs> so I think it's a, a, a slow evolution. Okay. Um, so I, I'm going to ask a question and, and it, 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 it's about an issue that's been really prickly just in the public eye and, and. I have to ask about this just because it seems like such a common topic of conversation. But our society in Saskatchewan and in Canada and North America and et cetera, seems very obsessed with gendered bathrooms and sort of who uses what, who occupies what space. Mm -hmm. And I think it speaks to a larger need to just, or, or urge to police people's bodies. But um, I guess my question to you is, I think there are maybe people listening to this who who are naive and think just you know go to your assigned gender or whatever it may be can you explain maybe why that specific space has become 
contentious or important to people or an important part of this conversation or why people seem to be very um, concerned about it, focused about it. I don't know what the right word is. I think you might understand what I'm asking though. Yeah. Uh, and I think um, it's interesting and I, I don't know much about it, but I looked into it a little bit and bathrooms have been um, socially and politically contentious places since there were public bathrooms in North America. Um, originally, public bathrooms were only for men because women were not in the places where what? men would, yeah, because women were not in the places where men would, would, where men would allow them. Like uh, women couldn't, I think in Saskatchewan, women couldn't even go to bars until the 60s or is it the 70s? Like women could not enter a bar. I think it, I've seen the photo of the people yeah. celebrating like the first night of women being allowed in bars. Yeah. yeah. And um, you could, this immediately makes my head pop to yeah. the, the gendering of even like room temperature. Yeah. If, uh, if you've ever heard of oh, that. Yeah, I know because I'm cold all like, the time. Just how it was built around. <laughs> yeah. How it yeah. was, how it was like designed around like men in suits and like, that boggled my mind and women when I also about it. Like uh, just how much gender is... Female bodies get colder faster and stay colder longer after they've gotten cold. So when mm -hmm. a woman is saying it's cold and I'm cold and she's still cold like an hour later after getting home, that's real. Her body actually takes longer to heat up mm -hmm. and it takes less time to cool down. And so... Yeah, when it's cold in the office and they're keeping it at 17 degrees, that's sexist and it has to stop, it has to stop. Take off your suit jacket, but yeah. But that's an aside, but bathrooms oh, historically. Yeah, and that's, but, but yeah, I think it's a relevant aside though, just because like gender invades so many parts of our lives and we don't even yes. notice it. Yep, when I, when I worked in an yeah, office. Bathrooms. Carry on, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, back to bathrooms. Um, and then when they started talking about <laughs> introducing, women wanted to go out in public more and they were going out in public more. And I think it happened around the time of bicycles. I'm, I'm guessing I just did a cursory read, read on this. Uh, but with bicycles, women were mm. going further afield and they were getting out. Like really women were um, not really in public space very much. Public space was for men and women were relegated to the private sphere. And so, but with, you know, bicycles mm. and then, you know, come pants, come being in places, they're going to need public bathrooms. And there was a lot of discussion about whether they should even make public restrooms. Women were going to be in danger if they had to like pee anywhere in public. And, and so, and they created these crazy salon spaces out of them with sofas and whatnot, because that was one of the few places women could be safe in public where they weren't, were away from men because there weren't a lot of laws protecting women's bodies at the time. And those became safe spaces. See, I like I've 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 always heard about like some women's washrooms that would have like seating or or like comfortable spaces like that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that part of it was around just creating a, a safe space away from I suppose men. But yeah. Now I think everybody. it's seen as luxury, but at the time, uh it was luxury, but it was also mm -hmm. a safe space, a safe room where men weren't because men and women were still very separate at the time. Interesting. Yeah. 
And so I, so I kind of understand now, I mean, I, I don't agree and I get very angry and I wish they would all shut up and go away. Uh, women who are very panicked about non-binary and trans people using women's washrooms. And I, mm. I can kind of, um, because historically where we've been with washrooms and women in society, I can kind of understand why it feels like one of the last public safe spaces is being taken away, but that mm. ignores and minimizes the more extreme danger that uh, trans and some non-binary people experience in public space. And that gets into a whole talk of privilege. And so um, you have a lot of blogging experience about gender and you've been quite public in your having your conversations about gender and sharing those with others through the Gender Avenger, gender Avenger blog. Um, can you tell the audience and me a little bit about that? Uh, gender Avenger is a feminist nonprofit organization based out of the United States that tries to um, elevate the conversation around women's voices in public dialogue. So let's say you're at a conference or you're watching a panel of speakers on a news channel or uh, any, you know, top 10 lists of, you know, like top 10 entrepreneurs or, you know, 40 under 40, that kind of thing that mm -hmm. are often weighted very heavily towards men and not mm -hmm. women and uh, non-binary slash trans people. And so they try to draw attention to where that balance isn't and sort of put it in event organizers' minds or, or, or people who create panels or lists or whatever to maybe revisit why that bias is happening and get more women onto those, okay. those lists, panels, conference speaking. So one, one common refrain in response to that and this is definitely not my opinion but it is a common refrain is um sort of pointing at claims of merit saying you know the reason why there are mm -hmm. more men in that space is because men have accomplished or done or whatever yeah. um so what do you think leads to that sort of thinking and how do you think that sort of thinking can be challenged i understand where that sort of thinking comes from um and I mean, it's wrong and I, I'll get into why that's wrong. It's um, because it doesn't acknowledge the, the privilege men have that allows them to enter those spaces with or without the merit they assume they have. Um, mm. Yeah. So, and then to say that they get there because of merit says that women by nature cannot achieve that. And that's dead wrong. There's a lot of things that happen along the way that keep uh, women and non-binary and trans people out of those spheres. Uh, it starts from well before we even enter kindergarten and continues on a daily basis uh, where our work is undermined, we're underpaid, we're not 
Um, we're often not promoted to positions that we are fully capable of. Um, I know women who've specifically been told that they cannot be put into a certain position because the men will not respect the woman in that position. And that's like this year. Um, mm -hmm. There's all kinds of reasons. And then also when you're looking at specifically things like events and conferences, they um, there were a lot of conferences that we would look at and they'd say, oh yes, we asked so many women to speak on this panel. And we'll be like, yeah, but it's on a Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m you accommodated mm. men to get here did you accommodate women to get here like there are childcare concerns it's the middle of the week it's um women are often not given the latitude at work or the funds at work to go to conferences that their male cohorts are there's a lot of reasons behind it and uh, another one of those reasons is just we tend to elevate men's voices as authorities because we're used to hearing, like literally the sound, how men's voices sound, we're literally used to hearing mm. as being more authoritative because they've always been in positions of authority over us. And so it's just, it's, and it's, it's quite natural. You just assume that's what an authoritative mm -hmm. voice sounds like. When you hear women's voices more often, you adjust to them. And you start to you start to drop that sense that she is less of an authority or they are less of an authority mm. because of their voice um i'm doing it right now i've got uh, vocal fry going on it's quite natural but you know what tons of men speak with vocal fry but you never hear them criticized for mm. it um uh, that's a good famous point. person a famous person I like to bring up, Noam Chomsky, vocal fry constantly in every mm. sentence he ever speaks. Great speaker. Everybody thinks Noam Chomsky is a great speaker, right? Whether you agree with his theories mm. or not. Yeah. But but women get criticized about that. Um, and it's often criticized that women are trying to sound like men. We're we're trying to sound like more of an authority. It's like, no, no, this is how human mm. beings speak. This is how we speak. Yeah. Um, you have to put um, uh, women and I'm saying women and more feminine people because uh, that includes me, <laughs> slightly more feminine. Um, if, if you put women and feminine people on lists, on stage, have them in conferences, uh, have them in your, when you're advertising your conference, when you've got their faces up there, it becomes normalized. And people start to expect mm. that uh, people who aren't cis men can also, you know, have authority in certain areas and disciplines. And it becomes, mm -hmm. they're not like outliers. It's not like, oh, so nice that a woman could come. Like, it's like, of course, of course they're there. So you have to see it. Yeah. It's, that, uh, you... it's hard to become something you can't see. And it's hard to promote something that you keep hidden. It's hard to become something that you can't see is a really, really great way of phrasing that. Mm -hmm. Because I think creating, making it clear that, you know, women and non-binary people belong in those spaces is really, really important. But I think you raise such a good point about people not seeing the whole arc of events and biases that 
hold somebody back before they can even get into the position of quote unquote yep. merit. Mm -hmm. um, so I think you've laid that out so well. Um, tell me a little bit more about your work with Gender Avenger. What specifically did you do when you were working with Gender Avenger? Um, I did some writing, um, not a whole lot, which is strange because I, you know, I've done so much writing over my uh, life on the internet. I did some writing. I mostly, um, mm -hmm. I did a lot of uh, content design. Like I designed all the posts, uh, layouts okay. for the website. I designed the website, which went through several redesigns uh, that I created. Um, in the beginning, I did a lot more of the social media marketing for it. Um, eventually we grew enough that we hired someone for that. Um, I counted a lot of lists of conference speakers. <laughs> um, yeah, just, yeah, a lot of counting, a lot of editing. Yeah. And so what, what, what did that, what made that work so meaningful to you? What made that work so important to you? Well, part of that was seeing over my time there, which was about seven years, was seeing more and more uh, conferences bringing in more women speakers and not just like as a panel of women in the industry, but actually integrating them into the larger conference. Um, cause a lot of conferences still will be like, oh, we have this lovely woman's panel over here. And it's like, you just put all the women in a room together and the men can't see them. This is not helpful for their careers. Like, <laughs> um, oh, that, I mean, that's a good point. Yeah. Don't put us so... in a room all together. Like it, that's very nice and all, and that might be nice for one session, but really like women should be in front of men as well. It's. Do you find that there is a lot of just sort of well-intentioned ignorance like that, where folks yeah. like really are sincerely trying, they think they're trying to do a good thing, but they're kind of missing the mark. Um, do think... you think that that's quite prevalent and how do you think we mitigate that? I think it's partially good intentions. I think it's partially laziness. There's a lot of laziness. Human beings, mm. and we're all guilty of it. We all take the laziest routes. We've all been places where they put like, uh, go to any um, like university campus and see where the sidewalks are. And then where all the grass is dead, where people actually walk. Like we, we take, we like to take mm. our easy short routes, you know? Um, and so I think yeah. like they'll, tr they'll, they'll say they're trying by, let's say, conferences as, as an example, creating a woman's panel with women's issues. And it's just going to be a room full of women and who are all frustrated because they all can talk to each other anyway. Or, uh, mm. but that, <laughs> and the reason they do that is because that's easy, right? And it's, it's a way to get more women to come because it's like, look, there's going to be a bunch of you. Um, but it's lazy because what that absolves them from is re uh, removing the barriers that keep women from their conferences in the first place. Mm. Uh, like things like childcare or it, it... scheduling or um, uh, not paying so many women will get invited to conferences find out they're on a stage next to a man who's getting paid 
anywhere from $5,000 to $150,000 to speak there. And she's been offered a hotel room. Mm. That has happened to so many women I know who are speakers, who literally have to fly to somewhere in Europe to speak and aren't even offered a per diem to eat. Mm. Like, and then they find out that a man on the next stage is getting thousands plus his flight and his per diem. And it's so rather than confront those inequities in their organization, they'll just like throw all the women into one room together and call it a day. And that's why that doesn't really fly very well. There's <laughs> so it's it winds up being some level of tokenization, some level of hand waving it away. Yeah. I, I, that doesn't I, I cost them any more money and doesn't saying. make them have to solve any problems. Mm. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Um, so I think then that leads us to a very important question, which is if somebody is maybe naive to this or unfamiliar with this world and just wants to be supportive what can they do what is their place in all of this uh one thing that you can do is and this one's um it's really interesting wrapping your mind around it because language gets so embedded like really like physically into like how your brain works um is to just change your language or watch how you speak and how often gender enter, enters into it. Um, like people will say, ladies and gentlemen, when you could say folks or everyone, or like, it's amazing how often we'll refer to both genders. And it's like, why are we separating people? Why can't we just, you know, say hello to everyone when we start an event or, um, now I'm right. I, my uh, my well of examples just for some reason is <laughs> escaped me, but you'll notice that there's so much gender that enters enters into your language, and just watch what you're saying when you're saying, you know, ladies and gentlemen, that you change that to folks or something similar, uh, and you'll be surprised at how often we're impressing this binary gender unnecessarily. Like, why are we talking about if, if, and usually binary gender is related to uh, what people like is related to people's biological sex. Like that's what most people think gender is, right? That you're born, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with a penis or a vagina. And so then you're a man or a woman. And those things aren't actually um, necessarily tied together. And so when you're looking at a room full of people and you're saying ladies and gentlemen, or you're assuming someone's a, a she or a he, you have to think in your head. This is a, it's, this will make you laugh a lot when you're first starting to like play with this idea. Why are you thinking about mm -hmm. what genitals are in that person's pants? Like what, why is that coming up for you? Like what, like that's I very mean, odd. It's a very valid question. Like, <laughs> yeah. like I don't. I, I mean, but it it makes perfect sense. Like when people feel very entitled to ask incredibly personal questions of trans people, especially, but you know, lots of folks in those situations. So yeah, it makes perfect sense to think to to approach it in that way for sure. 
if you can separate in your mind the sense that genitals dictate gender, you'll start to and and mm. and how often you use gendered language in your just regular speaking life, like whenever you're talking to people, you'll start to you'll just start to notice that oh, most of that stuff is unnecessary. Like we don't have to approach each person based on what genitalia we assume they're they're carrying along with them. And and you'll start thinking about mm -hmm. why why'd you do that in the first place? Or how does that affect people's lives that we do that? Like it so many things start to come together in your mind when you start to look at gender in our everyday language. I mean, that makes so much sense and you lay it out so well. So thank you for that. Um, are there any sort of resources or sort of websites, groups, anything that somebody who's maybe curious about um, non-binary people or the non-binary experience that you would want to point them at to help them better understand? Um, there's one publication I read, but it's written for Aside people from your Twitter. Are... Yeah. Um, follow me on Twitter. I'm um, schmutzy, S-C-H-M-U-T-Z-I-E. I'm open. Um, I'll take questions by DM. I can be the person you can ask the embarrassing stuff you don't want to get in trouble for in public. Um, not every non-binary person is going to want to be that person for you, but I, I'm a, mm -hmm. a safe space for people who want to learn <laughs> in a positive fashion. Um, so I'm a good resource. And it is so tremendously appreciated. Well, I, I like it. I'll spread the, spread the gospel. Um, sorry, that could maybe be very upsetting for um, some people. I don't mean to <laughs> spread the word. Um, we'll say, we'll say spread the message. Spread the message. Um, um, there are. Are there any specific causes, groups that you would like to shout out, draw attention to, or use this uh, moment to maybe throw a little support to? You know, this is something I'd wish I'd come come prepared for. I don't know of any cause that relates. Specifically. We can add it retroactively. All right. Yeah, I don't know of any cause that relates specifically to yeah. non-binary people. We're still kind of not. That is no problem yeah, at we're all. We're not as visible. Um, all I will get <laughs> you to do then. All, all I'll get you to do then is if you think of uh, something, mm -hmm. you can either just record it in a clip on like QuickTime or whatever and email it to me, or you can just tell me if you'd prefer mm -hmm. and I can just record a clip. Uh, what I um, would tell people shouting to, it out as well after the What fact. I would tell people to do is to donate to uh, local LGBTQ organizations and to make sure when they are donating to those organizations that they say, uh, they may include more letters than that, but make sure they include LGBT and Q. They have to have all of them because there are some organizations that will sneak the, the, the T or the Q out because they don't want us there. <laughs> so uh, that's more that's happening more in the UK than it is here, but just make sure that they've got the T or the Q in there. Uh, and donate to those organizations. Um, they are always underfunded, uh, usually run by um, dedicated volunteers that that could use the resources, and uh, and they usually uh, 
help uh, young people and young adults who are in the, as we like to say, the alphabet mafia. <laughs> so <laughs> I love that term. Um, so yeah, I say that that's, that's a vital, a vital space locally because it can be hard for young people to make it through to adulthood in a lot of cases. Awesome. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing all of your knowledge. I appreciate you sharing your time. This has been incredibly eye-opening. I've learned so much. So thank you. I'm going to get it right. Alan. 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 I got it. I, I corrected myself. Yes. Alan Morgan, uh, at Schmutzy on Twitter, give them a follow. They are just fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. And, uh, thank you everybody. For yeah, listening. And thank you so much for this conversation. I hope I made sense of stuff. It's hard to describe. It's hard to describe non-binariness sometimes. So I hope I, <laughs> I made sense. Yeah, there, there, like as a teacher, there are more. And my my younger brother is a elementary school teacher in Manitoba, so I'm aware of this. Uh, there are more and more kids coming out as non-binary, and like he had a kid in his class 